me as I've had the opportunity to study, hello, uh, as I've had the opportunity to study during the week, can you turn that light down a little bit, Michael, or move it or something? It's kind of right in my eyes. Um, I've just had a great time uh, studying and, and uh, learning uh, about uh, Romans as we go through uh, just this study about the Holy Spirit has been uh, really amazing, and uh, I hope that you all have been blessed by it too, as, as God has been blessing me uh, throughout the week. So uh, before we start on our message, let's go to the Lord and uh, ask him for blessings. Uh, Lord, we do thank you as we come uh, before you again to learn about your Holy Spirit, to study this incredible eighth chapter in the book of Romans. And uh, Lord, it is a feast every single Sunday. Uh, and so we pray, Lord, that you'll come now and uh, help us to understand uh, these words that you have given to us. Uh, Lord, we thank you that Bill Shepard is home. Uh, Lord, we thank you for continued healing for him and for Claudia. Uh, Lord, we lift up Mary quick to you and pray blessings on her. And for Diana Clausen as well, Lord, uh, just lift up those in our body who are hurting. And now as we come to the word today, Lord, just bless our time together. We pray these things in Christ's matchless name. Amen. Well, uh, on Tuesday night, uh, I watched the uh, Republican National Convention, and I saw that naturalization ceremony that happened during the middle of that, uh, that convention. And I don't know if you saw that, but uh, there were five people, uh, these five folks actually, who were uh, originally from other countries, and they took an oath, uh, an oath that they call the, the oath of naturalization or of citizenship. Uh, and that oath requires them to renounce their citizenship uh, and allegiance to another foreign country and to uphold the laws of the United States. And after they took that oath, uh, President Trump spoke to them uh, and he described the oath that they took uh, as a sacred and unbreakable covenant with the United States. And he said that they had accepted profound duties and responsibilities and rights that come with American citizenship. And he vowed, he said that they had vowed loyalty to the American Constitution and uh, the American way of life. He said now that they were citizens, uh, the history and heritage of the United States that uh, we enjoy are now theirs to enjoy and to pass down to future generations. And the culture and the traditions and the values of the U.S. are now theirs to uphold and to live by and rights so dear to every American that are bestowed on us by God and by our, our precious Bill of Rights are now theirs to enjoy and to support and to protect and to defend. And they are stewards now of this great legacy of being a citizen of this uh, magnificent nation, one people sharing one home, saluting one great American flag uh, for all that it represents. And as I watched that, I was just struck by the parallels between becoming a citizen through naturalization and our salvation. And if we think about it, we'll talk about a couple of them as we go through this sermon today. But the first parallel is between becoming a citizen in the greatest country on the earth and being adopted into God's family. There are strong parallels there. America receives a naturalized citizen just like it receives one of its native sons or daughters. A naturalized citizen is adopted into the U.S. from another home and receives all the rights and blessings that a native citizen receives. 
And so before we became Christians, we too were citizens of another world. We were citizens of the world of sin and death. Uh, and now, after having become Christians, we have renounced our uh, citizenship in the world of sin and death, and we have become uh, uh, citizens of heaven. And God made this sacred and unbreakable covenant with us uh, that when we receive Jesus as our Savior, he will keep us, preserve us, save us, uh, and bring us safely home to heaven. And so there are a couple of more parallels uh, that we'll look at uh, as we go through, uh, but uh, we should all leave here today uh, with this immense sense of joy because uh, this idea of being adopted that we talked about last week in verse 15 uh, creates all kinds of things uh, in us, benefits that we'll see as we look here in verses 16 and 17 today. Uh, but uh, we can know with absolute certainty that we are members of God's family because the Holy Spirit testifies that we are children of God. And if we are children, we are heirs. And we have an inheritance which is too great for us to possibly count. And so we'll spend some time talking today about all that we inherit. And this is like the reading of the will, uh, where all the blessings that are going to be given to us are bestowed on us, and we're going to hear some of those blessings today. So uh, we don't want to miss that. So let's read verses 16 and 17, uh, and we'll get started. The, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also... Be glorified with him. So the first thing that we see today is that the Holy Spirit confirms our salvation. Uh, another parallel between this U.S. naturalization ceremony and becoming a citizen of God uh, is the testimony of the one conferring citizenship. And without trying to push these parallels too far, I just want us to notice that citizenship was conferred on these five men and women on Tuesday night by the, uh, the President of the United States, which is the strongest witness in our land. Uh, he holds the highest office, and, and so that's the strongest human testimony possible that they had been adopted into the United States. And when we became citizens of heaven, the strongest witness possible, God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, testifies that we are citizens of heaven with all the rights and privileges that his own son receives. And so what a blessing it is to be a United States citizen, but even a greater blessing to be a citizen of heaven and a member of God's family. And so we've been looking at tests or assurances as we've gone through these last uh, few weeks in the book of Romans chapter 8. And the first assurance that we've seen that we are children of God is found in Romans 8, verses no, 8 verse 9. We have the Holy Spirit. All believers have the Holy Spirit. And the second uh, assurance is in verses 12 and 13. Uh, By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And so, in other words, if the Holy Spirit is living in us, then we are a killing sin in our flesh. We are, we are sinning less. We're putting to death the deeds of the flesh. In Romans 8, 14, we get a third assurance, and that is that the Holy Spirit is leading us. So if we're being led by the Holy Spirit, that is an assurance uh, that we are his children. The Holy Spirit should be leading us uh, in sanctification, making us more like Christ. And if that's true, we can be confident that we are sons of God. 
And then in Romans 8:15, yet another assurance. We have this spirit of adoption rather than a spirit of slavery to fear. And so as believers, we ought to be able to look at each of these four assurances and say yes to each one. Yes, I know that I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I care about the things of God. My life has been changed. I see the fruit of my salvation. I love Jesus and I rejoice when other people do too. Yes, I'm putting to death the deeds of the flesh. I sin less and it bothers me more when I do sin. Yes, the Holy Spirit is leading me. Uh, yes, I understand that, that uh, he gives me direction and guidance, and I'm eager to seek his will and to follow him. And yes, I have a spirit of adoption. I don't live in fear anymore. I'm not a slave to fear. Come what may, I trust God uh, that he has adopted me into his family and that my salvation is secure. And now, if all of that wasn't enough to give us assurance that we are children of God, we get even a fifth assurance, which is the cherry on top, really. The Holy Spirit confirms our salvation by testifying that we are children of God. And so as believers, we can have absolute assurance of our salvation. And when you think about it, this has to be true because we would never be able to not have a spirit of fear if we couldn't be assured of our salvation. We have received the spirit of adoption, God's Holy Spirit for the very purpose of giving us this confidence that we are saved, that he lives inside of us, and that our destiny is to uh, be with the Lord in heaven someday. And the Holy Spirit confirms this by uh, testifying uh, either with our spirit or to our spirit, as some translations say in verse 15, or in verse uh, 16, that we are children of God. So there is nothing to fear. Uh, if God himself says that we are his children, well, then that seals it. Uh, I don't want to bore you uh, with, the, uh, with all the grammatical and lexical information about whether Paul meant to say with our spirit or to our spirit here, uh, but what I will say is that the commentators are very much divided on whether it should be with our spirit or to our spirit. So I'm just going to make a couple of remarks about each one. Uh, if Paul meant with the Holy Spirit, uh, well, that would probably be an allusion to the fact that uh, in the Old Testament, people were needed two witnesses, right? Always two witnesses were required to confirm the truth of a matter. So, for example, in Deuteronomy 17:6, on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, he who is to die shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. Deuteronomy 19:15. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. And then in the New Testament, you'll remember the Pharisees were challenging Jesus and they were saying, you can't testify about yourself. Your testimony is untrue. And Jesus said to them, even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about me and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So if this is what Paul had in mind here, uh, that two witnesses are needed, then the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit, uh, giving us two witnesses, and that confirms our testimony that we are believers. But to our spirit also makes sense, and, and it could also work in the translation. 
because we have this direct assurance from the Holy Spirit, his testimony to our own spirit uh, that we are the children of God. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so the Holy Spirit testifies to us. It is God's testimony to us that we are his children. So when our own spirit is weak or doubtful, or when we know that we have committed some sin that grieves God, uh, we have the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirit, constantly giving us reassurance uh, that we are children of God, reminding us of God's grace and of our glorious salvation. And in this case, the Holy Spirit's testimony is not to confirm our salvation to God, but to confirm God's salvation to us. And so either way, with or to, uh, both are glorious truths. Uh, and whether uh, the Holy Spirit is testifying with our spirit or to our spirit, however you like the translation, uh, there is no stronger witness than the testimony of the Holy Spirit. To testify means to uh, confirm uh, or to attest to facts based on knowledge or based on belief. And when witnesses testify in court, they're required to swear an oath that they are going to tell the truth. But, as you may know, not all witnesses tell the truth when they are uh, sworn in. Uh, sometimes they intentionally lie, sometimes they don't remember as clearly as they thought they they uh, remembered the facts of a case. But either way, uh, when a lawyer gets up to cross-examine the witness, uh, his goal is to try to discredit that witness any way he can. And so uh, if he is able to show that the witness is being paid for his testimony, for example, uh, that would be a reason not to believe a witness. Or if that witness can be shown to be uh, you know, a felon with a history of lying uh, throughout his whole life, well, that would cause a jury not to believe him. And so if you are uh, a lawyer and you put a client on the, on the stand or a, a witness on the stand, you want that witness to be absolutely unimpeachable, that there is no question about the man's character or the woman's character uh, so that uh, a, a skillful lawyer can't dig into those things and, and uh, paint him as a liar. Well, that's what we get when we get the Holy Spirit. Uh, this Holy Spirit is a witness, the greatest witness you could ever have. He is God. He's completely unimpeachable. He cannot lie. He must speak the truth. And if the Holy Spirit testifies that we are children of God, then, brothers and sisters, we are children of God. Case closed. No more witnesses required. Uh, so this is the, the, the amazing thing about uh, the Holy Spirit testifying with our spirit. He confirms that we are children of God. And so uh, being adopted into God's family and having the Holy Spirit testify that we are children of God brings so many blessings because as children of God, uh, we become his heirs. And I want us to see that our inheritance is secure as we look at verse 17. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul has been using this familial uh, metaphor uh, for a few verses now. We were adopted as sons. Uh, we become heirs. We have an inheritance. Uh, so this metaphor of adoption, he continues all the way through verse 17. And since God has adopted us, we are his sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters, we receive an inheritance. We are heirs. Now, an heir is uh, someone who has a right to a future inheritance. Being an heir 
is a legal relationship. We, we are not heirs because of what we do. We are heirs because of who we are in legal relationship to someone else. Uh, because I am my father's son, uh, unless he cuts me out of his will, uh, I am his heir. And my two kids are heirs to my vast fortune because of their relationship to me, right? Because they are my children, not because of what they have done, but because of who they are. And we are adopted and we are heirs of God's family, not because of anything we have done, but because of who we are. And we get everything that the Father has to give. Well, like all metaphors, of course, this one breaks down uh, at points because God the Father obviously doesn't have to die for us to inherit from him. But Jesus did have to die, and we had to believe in him for our salvation in order to become heirs. So inheritance is not by keeping the law, it's by faith. That's what secures our relationship to the Father. And God has obligated himself to give us this inheritance because he promised to give us this inheritance and God cannot lie. God cannot break promises. And so God gave us some of our inheritance at the moment of our salvation. We received forgiveness of our sins. We have eternal life. We have 24-7 access uh, to, the Lord, to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He promises never to leave us, never to forsake us, so that we are never alone. And we've also received the Holy Spirit, which is God's down payment or his deposit in us, guaranteeing the future benefits that will come later. You know, there are so many things that could go wrong with an earthly inheritance, right? Uh, just because we are heirs doesn't mean that there'll be anything to inherit uh, later on. Uh, the stock market or the housing market could crash, which would devastate uh, the person's estate who you might inherit from. Uh, I had a friend once uh, who had, whose father uh, was pretty successful, but he had a gambling problem, and they used to have a lot, and he lost everything uh, to this gambling problem, and the, and the uh, estate was, was dissipated. A deceitful accountant could embezzle uh, all that you have. The court could invalidate the will and say, uh, you know, your parents were either not competent or they were under duress when they made this will, so I'm striking the will down. Your father or mother could remarry, and that could result in a redistribution of the assets of the estate. Uh, you could die before you receive your inheritance. Uh, you could have a falling out with your parents, and they could cut you out of the will. There are so many things that could happen that could jeopardize either the fact that we are heirs under an earthly inheritance or the value of the estate. And Paul wants us to understand here that that can never happen with God. That could never happen. There is nothing in, in the universe that can uh, jeopardize our inheritance with God because we are heirs of God and our Heavenly Father owns everything. And there is nothing that can happen that can stop us from inheriting all that the Father has to give. Once we become his children, our inheritance is secure. God promised it. We can never lose it. And it's going to be much greater than we can possibly imagine. So let's understand that our inheritance is secure. And thirdly, that our inheritance will be magnificent. And so let's just think about this naturalization ceremony that I talked about uh, earlier. Another parallel with this naturalization ceremony is in the benefits 
uh, as sons and daughters, naturalized citizens have received all the rights and privileges uh, uh, and responsibilities of people who are uh, native sons. And they inherit all of the privileges uh, from the United States because of the oath they took. And they became heirs uh, of all that the United States had to get, has to give. And the same thing happens when we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, adopted into God's family. We either have received uh, much of what we're going to receive, the things I talked about earlier, or we will receive uh, all that the Father has to give because every good gift comes from the Father and he gives it to us as an inheritance. So if we've been adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus, God withholds nothing from us. If we've been adopted into his family, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Is that a mind-boggling concept to you, that you are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ, that we will receive everything that Jesus receives from the Father? And Jesus willingly shares all that he has, all that he has inherited from God. And so now here is the reading of the will that I talked about earlier. We're going to talk about some of these incredible blessings that we receive uh, that God includes in our inheritance. And the first thing is this, eternal life. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. It's hard for us to imagine what eternal life means. Uh, day after day after day after day after day, and, and, and all the days, no matter how many we use, there's no end to the ones that are yet to come. It's incredible. And so it's complete nonstop joy from forever. Uh, the song Amazing Grace, I think, captures it well. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Have you ever thought about that lyric? 10,000 years have passed and we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. It's endless. It never ends forever. Constant joy and celebration. So we get eternal life. We also get glory. John 17, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. Now, receiving glory from God, I, I, can't, I can't imagine what that means. I try to picture it from the perspective of seeing God's glory, but, but who can really imagine what God's glory is going to look like? Uh, the song, I Can Imagine, I think, captures it uh, pretty well. Uh, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or, or in awe of you? Be still. Will I stand in your presence or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to sing it all? I can only imagine. It's just fantastic to think about what this glory means. We'll look upon his glory and then he'll shower us with his glory. And I think it will be like being the guest of honor at a banquet that God puts on for us every single day that never ends. Each guest will feel like God's special honored guest and will receive his special love forever. And somehow through some incomprehensible mystery, we'll be united to God, united to Jesus Christ, uh, forever sharing that glory. We'll receive new bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, the body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. 
So our bodies are going to be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye. We are no longer going to be subject to decay, pain, suffering, death. Uh, Our bodies will be able to do things that we can't even imagine. We'll never have to get out of bed in the morning complaining about, oh, my aching back, that'll never happen again. Uh, We'll never have to think about how our bodies fail us and let us down. Uh, No more cancer, no more weight struggles, no more eyeglasses, no more I can't hear anything, my ears aren't working properly. Uh, We're going to be whole, completely whole. Can you imagine that? I mean, for most of us, it's been a while since we've been completely whole. And we get that back again with these incredible bodies. No more doctor's appointments, can you imagine? All of this is coming with these new bodies. We get freedom from sin, suffering, tears, and death. Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. I don't know what I can add to that. Can you imagine a world where there is no sin, no pain, no suffering, no death? It gets better. We get heaven. 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. All of that is reserved in heaven for us. Heaven is the place where God lives. Heaven is the place where Jesus lives. And when we get there, we get to behold them face to face. Uh, God invites us to this home. Uh, Jesus promised to reserve this room uh, for us in this new home in John chapter 14. And so we can't possibly comprehend all that God has uh, prepared for us there. And best of all, if that wasn't enough, we get God himself. Remember the Levites, uh, when God was dividing up the land, he said to the Levites, the Levitical tribe, uh, the whole tribe of Levi, Levi shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's offerings by fire and his portion. They shall have no inheritance among their countrymen. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. Now, I don't think the Levites felt like they were getting ripped off by not getting a piece of the land, right? They got the Lord himself. They got God himself. They obviously got what was best. And that is what we will receive. In Exodus chapter 33, uh, God, uh, Moses said to God, show me your glory. And, and God picked up Moses and he put him in a cleft of a rock and he said, I will pass by you and you can look at my back, but my face you cannot see for no man shall see God's face and live. But in Revelation chapter 22, look what happens. There will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the lamb will of, and, and of the lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And so uh, we see through a glass darkly now, but then we will see face to face and God himself will be our inheritance and Jesus, our brother, in all of his glory will be there so that we may worship him face to face. Hebrews chapter one, verse two says, in these last days, God has spoken us through his son, whom he has pointed heir of all things all things. That includes everything, anything you can imagine, everything in the whole universe. He's inherited all things and we are his co-heirs, so we inherit with him all things. 
That is mind-blowing to me, that everything that the Son gets, we get too. We are his co-heirs. It's amazing. Uh, human language fails us when we try to consider all that awaits us as our inheritance. And all we can say with certainty is that it's far greater than anything that we in our finite human minds could ever imagine. I'm looking forward to our great inheritance. But now, as we come to the end of verse 17, it seems like there may be a catch to all of this. So let's ask ourselves, is our inheritance conditional on suffering? And if children, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Ah, you say, it was too good to be true. I knew there had to be a catch. There had to be something. I have to suffer. Forget it. I'm out. Well, that's not what Paul meant. Paul was not talking about it in that way. Uh, The word translated, if indeed, uh, could properly be translated since. So a good translation of the verse would be, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, since we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Our salvation cannot be contingent on suffering. We will suffer because we live in a fallen world. Everyone suffers in this world, but we believers will suffer especially because we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So suffering is a fact of the Christian life. Our salvation is not contingent on it. A second reason that our our salvation is not contingent on suffering is that suffering is something that happens to us more than something that we do. We can't control suffering. Uh, Most of the time, suffering comes upon us uh, because we live in a world that is hostile to Christ. And as witnesses to Christ, uh, people are going to persecute us, and we don't necessarily control that. But a third and most important reason that salvation is not conditional on suffering is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone. And so if this were a conditional statement, if our salvation were contingent on our suffering, then we would have to seek to suffer. We would always be uh, on the lookout for an opportunity to suffer. And we would always wonder if we've suffered enough to be saved. What a miserable bunch of people we would be if that was our life. But that's not our life. Salvation is actually another assurance of our salvation. It helps us to understand that since we suffer with Christ, we know that we are saved. And this suffering helps us to know Christ better. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may may attain resurrection from the dead. It's all good in the beginning, right? I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrections, but to really know him, we have to know the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death. And that's what Paul was talking about. That is how he identified himself with the Lord. So we've already talked about having the Holy Spirit. That's one assurance. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Having a spirit of adoption rather than a spirit of fear. And knowing Christ through suffering is yet another assurance of salvation. And so we can be assured of our our salvation because we suffer with him and will be glorified with him uh, because as adopted sons and daughters, we do suffer with him. 
So all of that amazing majesty in these just two verses. And let's think about a couple of applications uh, by way of a couple of questions as we close. I'm going to ask you a question here. Are you a member of God's household? All you have to do to be a member of God's household is to acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a savior and ask him to forgive your sins and it will be done on the spot. Some people are too proud to do that. They don't want to admit that they are sinners in need of a savior. They want to save themselves and that is a sad thing because there's only one way to be saved. Salvation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do that, if you make that confession, you will be a member of God's household. You're saved. And everything that I've talked about today will be yours. And if you wonder sometimes whether you are saved, you don't have to wonder. All these tests and assurances that we've been talking about the past several weeks are God's gift to you by his grace that you can know that you are saved. So you don't have to question whether you are saved. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you're putting to death the deeds of the flesh, if you're being led by the Holy Spirit, if you have a spirit of uh, freedom from slavery to fear and a spirit of adoption, if you have the Holy Spirit testifying for you, if you are suffering with Christ, well, then you don't have to wonder. You have the Holy Spirit. You are saved and all the blessings that God has to give are yours eternally. So why would anyone wait another minute before asking God for his forgiveness and asking to become a member of God's family? Well, assuming you've done that, assuming you are a member of God's household, are you contributing to God's household? These five new citizens that I mentioned earlier all have very impressive resumes. Uh, They are uh, mothers and fathers, they're employees and entrepreneurs. Uh, They're all contributing to their households and contributing to society. They're all incredibly grateful to be American citizens considering where they came from. And they are eager to make a contribution to uh, their society. And it's a great reminder to us not to take our citizenship lightly or for granted. It's an incredible privilege but it comes with responsibilities and expectations, just like being a citizen of God's household. We are sons and daughters of God, but God expects us to contribute to his household. Yes, we are saved by grace. No, we can't do anything to earn our salvation, but once we are saved, God expects us to make a contribution, to witness for him. He expects us to make converts, new believers, by sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he expects us to disciple new believers, uh, to be generous, to look for people in need and help to share our blessings. Our food drive on Thursday was an incredible testimony to the hearts of the people in our body here who want to reach out and help those in need. There are so many things that we can do to bless others with the gifts that God has given us. Uh, And so it's worth asking ourselves, what are my unique gifts? How can I use these unique gifts uh, to benefit the members of God's household? How can I contribute to God's household? Uh, Not because we are trying to earn God's favor, but out of gratitude because we already have it. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we get to be members of your household. Thank you that we get to build up your household. And thank you for the gift of eternal life and all that comes with it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, A message like this is 
It's almost theoretical at points. It's just impossible to comprehend all that you have planned for us. And yet at other points, it's incredibly practical. Uh, Lord, what we need to do uh, to become citizens is quite simple in your scriptures. And, and what you expect from us is also quite simple, Lord. So help us to uh, try and get our arms around just the, the incredible uh, grace that you show us and the incredible gifts that are waiting for us, Lord. And, and as we think about that, Lord, help us to understand that there is a world out there so desperate for your son, so desperate for your word. And Lord, we have, we have the gift, Lord. You've given us salvation. And Lord, help us to have the courage to share it with others to a world that is so desperately in need, Lord, as we watch the news and see everything that's going on in the world between elections and the coronavirus and rioting throughout the country. Lord, it's a world that needs the gospel. Lord, help us to be your instruments. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.